Hello everyone, my name is Adam, and welcome into this week's trip down the homeward path. Before we get into things, I've got a few questions. Are you a fan of Magic the Gathering? Presumably so, since you're here listening to a podcast about it, but, you know, what do I know? But is there something else in your life that takes precedence? Keeps you away from your magical aspirations? A job, a career, partner, spouse, children, any and all of the above. Listen, I'm right there with you. I have a wonderful wife, three children, full-time job, and a lot of extracurricular commitments that make it really difficult to devote the amount of time, finance, and energy that high-level competitive magic normally takes. But in spite of that, are you, like me, relentlessly seeking improvement every time you get a chance to play? If that sounds like something you're interested in, then I suggest you hop in and buckle up. Now let's go for a ride. But it's a good time to remind you that we are brought to you by the following sponsors. PureMTGO.com is one of the largest depositories of magic content on the web. They've got a little bit of something for absolutely everyone. And I do mean everyone. So head over there, check out their collection of stuff. While you're at it, I understand that the arena grind can feel like a bit of a slog, especially if, like me, you're traditionally at least a free-to-play player. But thanks to our sponsor at Grey Viking Games, you don't have to wander the wilderness in search of your glory on your own. You can head over there and find access to pre-release codes, single-pack codes, cosmetics, promo packs, uh, card sleeves, any and all of the above. So go and find your glory at GreyVikingGames.com. And if you want to support this show in a much more direct fashion, don't forget to head over to Patreon.com slash HomerPathMTG. This show is always going to be free, but if you like what we're doing enough to help us keep doing it, go over become a patron and take advantage of your rewards and if you've got questions comments or concerns about the show or you just want to talk you can find me on twitter i'm at homeward path mtg you can find me on facebook my name is adam spain like the country yes i got picked on about that for most of my life and you can join the conversation in the facebook group the homeward pathfinders So, head over, check all that stuff out, while you continue to listen on the Homeward Path. How's it going, everybody? Hope you've had a good couple of weeks off, and before we get started, I need to do something very important. I need to apologize, because 2021 has been the least consistent I have ever been in terms of content release and content quality. Uh, And there's not really a good way to put it as to why. It just is. Uh, I have not had a good year mentally. We've had a lot of stress, both internal and external in the home, culminating most recently in finding out that the credit card we used to cover Esther's orthodontic bill has been folded into a credit reconciliation program that we are now on the hook for $800 a month for the next 55 months to pay off. Now, it was not a situation where we frivolously spent a lot of money, but it was also not a situation where we absolutely had to spend a lot of money. So I am not asking for any kind of a, a handout, a help me out here, or anything like that. This is our, our responsibility. We messed this up and we are the ones who have to cover for it. But it has helped me kind of realign my priorities. 
because quite frankly, for most of 2021, given the state of no organized play, no in-store play, no reason to really try to grind magic, I have let myself go quite a bit. I've played when it was convenient for me, and no other time. I, I would play arena maybe once or twice a week. I have, I've been reading up plenty, studying deck lists. I've been more interested in trying out brews than I have been in refining the skill sets that I'm trying to develop. And just all the way around, I have not been taking magic as seriously as I should be given the, st the situation I'm in as a creator. So for that, I want to apologize. And I would also like to point out that in the future, we've already got a plan in place to make things right. If you are in the Homeward Pathfinders Facebook group, we will start doing more social media engagement, both there and in the Discord for the patrons. Uh, in the Facebook group, we're going to start doing daily posts on weekdays, Monday through Friday, uh, just to try to get conversation going. We need conversation <laughs> as a result we're gonna we're gonna push that in addition uh in the discord i'm gonna start unloading deck lists in there that deck list thread's about to get full uh whether it's standard 22 uh standard historic modern pioneer whatever we're going to start sharing stuff because the whole point of the patron pathfinders discord is to get an insight into what i'm doing behind the scenes to make the content that i do and as a result i want y'all to be a part of that i that's what i wanted to begin with and i just haven't been doing it and that is on me not on anyone else i am going to make that right too in addition, my regular content production schedule is going to come back, which is to say I will be recording an episode on either Thursday or Friday every week, and it will be uploaded by Sunday night every week. And if I don't make it, I either need to tell y'all that I'm not going to make it, or I want y'all to hold my feet to the fire. All right? I've said since I started this show, it was going to be my labor of love. Well, it's high time I put some labor into the thing that I love. So, for those of you who have been here since day one, and I know you have noticed the dip in consistency and quality, I am deeply, truly sorry for that. But know that I am doing everything in my power. Now that I've finally been confronted and sort of forced to fix it, I'm going to. I'm shedding a lot of the distractions. I'm shedding a lot of the paper selection that I'd been kind of cultivating and I was hem-hawing about what I was going to build. That indecisiveness is gone out of necessity. So, <laughs> I hope, you know, you can stick around for the content that I continue to make. And with that out of the way, it's time to let you know my name is Adam and this is The Homeward Path. This is a show where we look at improvement at Magic the Gathering through the lens of someone like me. I'm a husband, a father of three, work 45 hours a week, and I am currently on my way to my nearest local game store about 35 miles away. So magic is hard. Doing it with a shoestring budget and not a lot of opportunities to play in person is harder. So, with that in mind, let's dive into our first segment. Our first segment, every episode, is Budget Spotlight, wherein we take a look at a card that an uncommon, a rare, a mythic, and a commander sort of commander-oriented, commander-centric card that I feel like are either worth more than the price they get or should be played more than the price they get currently. This segment is brought to you by our sponsor at PureMTGO.com. PureMTGO is one of the largest selections of magic content on the web. They have something for everyone. Standard, Commander, Pauper, Modern, Legacy, Vintage Cube, 
I don't care what you're looking for. They've got something for you. You just got to do a little digging. Use the search function. You'll find it. Just do it. So, diving in, our uncommon for the week is Jwari Disruption. Jwari Disruption is an uncommon from Zendikar Rising. It costs one and a blue. Instant. Counter target spell unless its controller pays one. But it's also a modal double-faced card, so on the back side it's Seaside or Seagate Citadel. I can't remember the name of it. Honestly. It doesn't really matter. It's a it's a tap a blue tap land. It enters the battlefield tapped and it taps for blue mana on the back side of this modal double-faced card. So Sensor filled a really similar role in its time in standard. And at one point or another commanded a pretty hefty price tag because of it, for especially for a, an uncommon that was not super heavily played. You know, Sensor saw close to a dollar a copy at one point or another because it was the, the decks that were playing Sensor were rising in popularity. I don't think that's going to happen with Drawing Disruption, but I do think it is worth picking up at its current price point, 35 cents. I don't know what its price point is on Magic Online. I have not checked, but I would imagine it. I would be shocked if it was more than a nickel. And I'm going forward, fun fact, this segment is going to start including Magic Online ticket prices as well. The paper prices I use are from CoolStuffInc.com, and the ticket prices I will be using will be from MTGO Traders, just so I can give you an insight into the vendors that I use. Now, Sensor filled a similar role in its time in Standard, moving kind of in and out of list depending on how much people respected it. Drawry Disruption is very similar in that regard. Like, nine times out of ten, you would leave up two mana on turn two, and if your opponent didn't do anything you cared about, you would cycle Sensor, draw a card, and like, they're, they, they, they've successfully played around it, but now they're successfully making the card dead in your hand. And you would routinely cycle it off to look for another land. Well, Drawry Disruption fills a similar role. Except instead of cycling it off to try to find a land, it's just always a land. If you don't think you're going to get them by making them play off curve, it's just another land drop. You can squeeze it into your curve. You know... Leave two mana open, your opponent doesn't do anything, you draw a second copy, play the first one as a tap land. Your opponent thinks you don't have it, they jam Binding of the Old Gods into it, or they jam their four-drop creature into it, and you just say, nah, gotcha anyway. The comparison to Sensor, this is better early and worse late. Because Sensor at least always represented a fresh card if it was top-decked at a very inopportune moment. Whereas this is always just either a force spike, a bad force spike, or a tap land. And it's sort of the trade-off you always get with modal cards, right? It's either you, you are playing the odds that one side or the other is going to be good enough all the time. And in the case of Drawry Disruption, you are banking on the opponent either playing into it and you get to tag a spell, a key spell, a key curve element, or... It's a land you can play, and not for nothing. This is, it's, it's trivial, but not really. Uh, Salundi Vision is going to be one of the card selection tools going forward into new standard, as are uh, one of the preview cards from Innistrad Midnight Hunt. Both of them let you look at a large number of cards from the top of your library, select an instant or sorcery, and add it to your hand, and then put the rest on the bottom. In the case of both cards, this is a land that you can find from it that you don't mind having in your opener. Sort of similar to the argument that I made about land grant in the Delver decks in Pauper. It's a very similar thought process. As such, I mean, it's just, it's fine. At 35 cents, you can do a whole lot worse. So with that in mind, let's move on to our rare. Our rare this week is Ranger Class. Ranger Class is one in a green, and it's one of the new uh, enchantments from Adventures in the Forgotten Realms. It enters the battlefield at level one, and then you can level it up as time goes on. 
And what it does is when it enters the battlefield at level one, it creates a 2-2 wolf token, I believe it is. And then you can level it up for one and a green. And at level two, it says whenever you attack with a creature, put a plus one, plus one counter on an attacking creature you control. That's, that's already pretty good. And then you've also got for four and a green, level three, uh, you can look at the top card of your library and you can cast a creature from the top of your library. Or, you know, you can cast creature spells from the top of your library. So this is going to be a format defining card in the upcoming standard format. A lot of the noteworthy, the threats that we've been playing with and against for the last two years are gone. And this is, th this card is amazing because its floor is a bear. It's two mana, two, two. If that's all it does, it's on raid. It's a great limited card, right? Great. It's, it's the card you build most of your limited decks around. You play as many bears as you can. Well, this is a bear that also offers you a very, very, very nice flood insurance policy. And what I mean by flood insurance policy, if you have not listened to this show before, a flood insurance policy is anything that gives you a way to use your mana without having cards in your hand. And in the case of this, if you get into the late game, you're going to activate this fairly early. Like, you're going to turn this thing on and start attacking early because that's what your green creature decks want to do. But it's also something to do with your mana late when you start flooding out because now you've got five lands. You're like, okay, pay five. Level three, uh, let's cast this one drop off the top of my deck that's not very good right now. Let's just, just get it out of the way. Let's try to find gas. And then coupled with anything that lets you play extra lands, like, it, it just, it helps. It, it helps a lot. And the price tag on this is $6, and I know that's a little high for what I normally do in this segment. I usually try to keep the uncommons at, like up to five dollars the rares up to or the uncommons and rares up to five dollars and then the mythic up to ten dollars and this is a little bit over what i normally do but this is the defining card for your creature decks in the upcoming standard format it's a great card in commander it's just like six bucks is not that much to ask for that effect quite frankly Moving on to our Mythic, our Mythic is Professor Onyx, four black black planeswalker, five loyalty. She's a Liliana, I know. <laughs> uh, you have a plus one to lose one life and essentially cast a strategic planning. You lose one life, look at the top three, put one of them into your hand and the other two in the graveyard. You have a minus three. Each opponent sacrifices the creature they control with the greatest power. And then a minus eight. Each opponent discards a card or takes three damage. Or it's either takes three damage or loses three life. I'm not sure the wording. I don't have it directly in front of me. And again, I'm in the card. So we don't do that. Uh, but either it's your opponent chooses. I either... You either discard a card or take three damage or lose it's uh, discard a card or lose three life. And then you repeat that process six more times. So you're either going to rip their hand to pieces. You're going to bolt them seven times or some combination of the two. So she's a little pricey, admittedly, both in mana cost at six and at financial value at $10. This is right at the cap that I like to hold for the Mythics in this show, but I think it's worth it. I think she's worth it. This represents the end game. This is the last thing you're resolving in a lot of matchups. This is the end game for a lot of decks in the upcoming standard format, just because she's so stinking good. She's either going to draw you or dig your way out of the hole you found yourself in, find you the way to dig yourself out of the hole you found yourself in, catch you up on the board, and then 
the plus one and the magecraft ability. The magecraft ability is whenever you cast or copy an instant or sorcery, your opponent loses two life, you gain two life. She has a static magecraft ability on top of all the rest of that. So she resolves. She's kind of got that 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 Niv Mizzet, that uh, Nissa who shakes the world, that Dream Trawler hidden line of text hidden on the bottom of her, which is if you untap with her, you should probably win the game. Maybe not as not as evidently as something like Mordekainen, which we'll talk about in a minute. But she's really, really good. And again, with the the commander, the just the fact that she's a uh, planeswalker, another Liliana with a different name, the ability to hit all of the opponents at once—like it's so good. And it's a card you rarely will need more than two of, because you don't play that many six drops in your deck unless you're a psychopath, and you definitely don't play that many copies of the same six drop in your deck unless it's, even if it's Dream Trawler or Niv Mizzet or. I guess Nissa Who Shakes the World doesn't count because she was a five drop and she was cracked in half. But, like, she just does everything you want your curve topping six drop to do. She's gonna draw you cards to keep you from falling too far behind once you've reset the board and then resolved her. She will take care of a big dumb creature your opponent plays post board wipe, which is a regular line of play that comes up. She also just threatens to end the game with that ultimate. And all the way through, along the, along the way, you can just plink away with that Magecraft ability. Whether you're, you know, chaining cantrips together with her in order to stagger it. Or, you know, you're playing Legacy or Commander and you resolve Onyx and then play Chain of Smog and infinite kill your opponent because of how Chain of Smog works with Magecraft. For those of you who don't know, Chain of Smog has the has target player discard a card. That player can then copy Chain of Smog. And if you target yourself, you can infinitely keep recopying it. And every time you do, Liliana will plink them for two. And that's really good. So, I know she's ten bucks. But you need two. Unless you're playing Commander, then you need one. It's not top tier. It's not great. No, but those cards tend to be way more expensive. So, moving on to our last card, our commander for the week. This one's a little bit unique because the last few I've tried to find mythics and rares that are just obnoxiously cheap. This one's an uncommon, but it sticks to the theme of what I want to do with this slot in Budget Spotlight, which is find a commander that is really easy to build that is also really cheap. And in this case, it's a card that is currently in standard. It's a card that will survive rotation, so there's at least some amount of value in that. And that is Narfi, Betrayer King. Narfi is three blue and a black, four three. Other snow and zombie, snow creatures and zombies you control get plus one, plus oh. And then for triple snow, in other words, triple generic mana from a snow source, you can return Narfi from your graveyard to the battlefield. So it's similar to last episode in the sense that this card knows exactly what you want it to be built around. Like Locust God wants you to draw cards, Narfi wants you to play snowlands, snow creatures, and zombies. I want, you know, at minimum, you need the Snowlands, right? So that you can keep buying it back. Because of the fact that buying it back from the graveyard bypasses commander tax. If it gets killed on the battlefield and goes to your graveyard instead of going back to the command zone and you've got triple snow, you effectively saved yourself four mana the first time you do it. And then you've saved six mana the next time you do it. And so on and so forth. And then in conjunction with cards like Command Beacon to put it into your hand and then discard it. Like you can save mana on Narfi every time you activate that ability. 
And if you do nothing but build a blue-black sort of snow control deck that just wants to play a bunch of board wipes, some counter magic, and then Narfi is just going to chip away at people in addition to something like Rise from the Tides to just make a bunch of 2-2s, and then Narfi makes them 3-2s, and then you just kill somebody. Like, that's, that's viable. That's doable. It's not outlandish or bad or anything of the sort. It is completely respectable. And Narfi, in comparison to some of the other commander cards we talked about on this show, Narfi is a whole 35 cents because it's an uncommon. An uncommon uh, snow and zombie lord that can res itself from the graveyard. So you can do a curve of like turn one Crypt Breaker, turn two, the one we're getting in Shadows Over Innistrad in blue-black that gives your zombies plus one plus O. Oh. Turn three, uh, Lord of the Accursed, everybody gets one one in Menace. Turn four, Undead War Chief, everybody gets two one. And then on five, cast your commander and your board is very formidable. He also fits well in Gisa and Garolf in the 99 because of the fact that it's a zombie that you can play with its own ability out of the graveyard so you don't have to use up Gisa and Garolf's ability to cast a zombie to get it on the battlefield. So just all the way around, it is a utilitarian, straightforward card, whether it's the commander or a part of the 99 of a zombie or snow tribal deck. It's real, real, real good. So that's going to wrap up Budget Spotlight. Remember, if you've got any suggestions for the next one, leave them in the comments down below. I will definitely take them into consideration as I have kind of gotten latched on to a handful of cards that I've been playing and maybe not been paying enough attention to some of the other ones that are out there. So if you've got suggestions, leave them down below in the comment section or send them to me on Twitter at HomewardPathMTG. Moving on to our next segment, it is Brew of the Week. And Brew of the Week this week is, or every week, Every episode is brought to you by Grey Viking Games. If you are an arena player like me on a shoestring budget, they are one of the best things out there for you because Grey Viking Games lets you get pre-release codes without having to pay for a pre-release. It's like $7 for a pre-release code and you get six packs on arena. In addition, if you haven't gotten any of the booster pack codes, you can get those. The, the single booster pack codes that you can use, I think, five of on your account. They've also got cosmetics, pets, sleeves, all of the things. They've, they've, they've got all of the things that you could possibly want for Arena that you can, like, find your way into by playing paper. You can get them without having to buy the paper products that come in. And at a criminally low price. <laughs> So, GreyVikingGames.com, or, you know, if you want to support the show, use the affiliate link down in the description if you're watching this on YouTube, or ConstructedCriticism.com, or if you're part of the Homeward Pathfinders Facebook group. By the time this episode is published, I will also have the affiliate link pinned in the Facebook group. So our Brew of the Week this week is Demir Control in Standard 22. And I say Standard 22 kind of tongue-in-cheek because this episode's coming out like a week or two before release of Innistrad Midnight Hunt. And a reason, a big reason I point to this deck as something to be interested in is because I think it's going to be good after a lot of its sort of natural predators rotate out and it gets more help from Innistrad. So first and foremost, at its core concept level, this is a classic control deck that wants to use mana-advantaged one-for-one trades along with card, you know, shots in the arm of card advantage through the mid-game to keep the board state simple and dominate. You want to make your opponent spend five mana to trade for your one-mana counterspell. It is you know, make your opponent spend two mana or make your opponent spend six mana to try to resolve their threat. And then you use your three mana divide by zero to put it back in their hand and add another card to your hand. It is, 
you're looking to keep the board simplified, not get your face ripped off, and then eventually you seek to set up some sort of an inevitability behind something like Emrith, Mordekainen, or uh, Professor Onyx. You have access to a bevy of board sweepers. You've got, uh, what is that card's name? I can't remember card names right now. But you've got access to Crippling Fear. Four mana, creatures of a type other than the one you chose get minus three, minus three. You just always choose the type of creature you have on the battlefield unless your opponent has them too. And then your creatures are ready, willing, and able to be sacrificed for the greater good of, again, not having my face punched in. You've got Shadow's Verdict. Exile all of the three drops or less. Just don't, don't swarm me. Don't, don't do it. It's not going to end well if I survive. And then you've got Blood in the Snow, so that if your opponent plays a bunch of creatures that will live through Crippling Fear and that are too big for uh, Shadow's Verdict... You've got access to blood in the snow to clean it up. There's also a good amount of one-for-one -one removal in cards like Poison the Cop. You've got Flunk. You've got uh, the uh, Power Word Kill. You've got just a litany of those efficient one-for-one -one trades. And then you've got a good amount of disruption from things like discard spells all the way up to things like counter magic. Like, Saw It Coming is in every blue deck for a reason. Disdainful Stroke is really good for a reason. All of them just sort of fit what you're trying to do. So from a customization standpoint, the first question you have to answer is what style of control deck are you going to be? Are you a tap-out deck that wants your opponents to just play into all of your sweepers? and then get wrecked by them. You know, you're using your sweepers to get your, your shots of card advantage and then you're one for oneing the rest of the way through. Are you a draw go deck that wants to do everything at mana advantage and everything as, pos as instant speed as possible? Are you a mix of the two? That's possible. You don't have to go super hard in either direction. There's, there's no law saying you do. But the real question to ask when you're asking that question, when you're asking which style of control deck do I want to be, you also need to answer the question, what am I trying to beat? Is it aggro I'm worried about? If it is, I'm going to need more sweepers, more sort of trump cards to keep the table clear, you know, more ways to catch up because they're going to be doing everything in their power to keep me on the back foot. If we're trying to beat mid-range decks, well, we want more of that draw-go element where we want mana-advantaged one-for-one trades and then we want to use the mid-game as our window to start resolving some two-for-ones like Behold the Multiverse or uh, basically Behold the Multiverse, I guess. <laughs> you know, whatever you're trying to beat. And then, of course, if you're in a control mirror, maybe you want to try to go under them, and then that's a that's an issue you address in sideboarding, but not in the standard 2022 format, because that format doesn't let you sideboard. We don't have a best of three on standard 2022. We're going to complain about that more in a minute. Are you on Team Dragons or Team Planeswalkers? when it comes to how you end the game. How are you winning the game? Do you want Liliana, Mordekainen, and Loth? Do you want Imrith and Ebendeth? And that's it. Are you planning to play a mixture of the two? I advocate strongly for a mixture of the two because Imrith is really, 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 really good providing a body that is difficult for your opponent to remove nearly impossible for them to remove in a mana advantageous way outside of exactly soul shatter 
while Onyx and Mordekainen provide long game value as planeswalkers on the battlefield. Mordekainen can even provide pressure coming back the other way. So, whatever the case, like, they're pretty good. And then, are you interested in learning? Are you playing Hunt for Specimens, Divide by Zero, anything like that? All, all of those. I don't know. If you're playing those, are you interested in a splash? If so, why? These are all questions that are really necessary to ask, especially when it comes to splashing another color in a format where mana is not going to be great. We have all 10 pathways. We have the creature lands from Adventures in the Forgotten Realms that enter tapped unless you are, they're, they're fast creature lands. They enter untapped after turn two. By contrast, the new lands from uh, Innistrad Midnight Hunt will only enter untapped at turn three or later. So, like, once the creature lands start entering tap, that's when these new duels will enter untapped. We call them last lands or slow lands. They're not really slow lands. I wouldn't go as far as to call them slow lands. We have a lot of snow, slow lands in the format already in the form of the snow tap duels, which I don't hate, by the way, full disclosure. But if you're playing lessons, what are you playing them for, right? Like if you're playing learn, what are you learning? What's your lesson plan? I love making that joke. Do you want pest summoning along with hunt for specimens to try to just kind of wall up against big stupid aggro decks? Do you want... Uh, oh, I can't remember. Like, mascot exhibition is another win condition. Do you want elemental summoning? Do you want inkling summoning? Do you want, you know... What are we trying to accomplish with our learn cards other than tempo do we just use it for environmental sciences in order to keep hitting land drops and gain a little bit of life to keep the pressure off whatever the case may be it's valid as long as you have a good reason so outlook on this archetype full disclosure blue black control has always been one of my pet archetypes i love playing blue black control because it makes things really, really, really easy for me. And when I make things easy for me, I tend to do better. That's not to say the deck, I, I feel like the deck is broken or, you know, particularly unique or difficult to play. It just keeps things simple. And I like simple. So with a wide array of options available, you can dictate exactly what type of opponent you're going to lose to. And, you know, it's something, maybe it's a little bit of the control freak in me, and pun intended there, but I like being able to dictate what beats me. I really do. I like being able to tell you what's going to kill me. That's a place I like to live in. If you know your format context, if you know what you're expecting to play against, if you know what you need to beat, control decks are usually viable. As long as you know what you're up against and how your plan works to beat it, you've got a chance. And again, as I state down here at the bottom, it looks to gain pretty massively from some of the cards spoiled so far for Innistrad Midnight Hunt. You have the new removal spell that just destroys a creature for two mana, but you lose two life. Okay. But it's it's a it's a two mana murder. It just gets it off the table. We paid three mana and used an adventure card for that. Although, obviously, sometimes it's sniped a Planeswalker. But we did that for the last two years in Black Control decks. Why would we not do it for two mana on a card we can find with Salundi Vision or uh, Augur Bolas or something like that? It's really good. Consider the following. The card consider. I'm going to make that joke way more often than I should. But I think that, uh, you know, we played... A ton of preordaining control decks during its time in standard. We played a ton of ponder its second go round in standard because of how easily it smoothed things out. I see no reason not to play 
a ton of consider if only to just be able to find what you're looking for more often. And especially in conjunction with flashback spells, it's going to be really good. So, top to bottom, I think this deck's in a really good spot. I think it's a good place to get into now and be ready for later. And, yeah, blue-white control. Take a look. So, moving on, let's look at the actual format context we're talking about here. Because I think that's really important to take into account. I mentioned that, but I'm going to mention it again. Standard 2022 is one of the grindiest formats I have ever played. It offers a glimpse into what we can expect going forward. But it also puts us in a position where we maybe oversell on some aspects of the format and undersell some others. It is really nice to not have to play against cards like Bonecrusher Giant and the that ilk. Like it, it is really nice to not have to play against those things anymore. <laughs> Full disclosure. Uh, Bone Crusher Giant, Love Struck Beast, Ember Cleave, Emergent Ultimatum, all of the things we're all tired of playing against are gone. Kioribus the Sea God, I mean, yeah. Kiora ain't best in nothing no more, folks. So, while there is diversity among decks, I'd be remiss not to point out the constraints of the format. There's Snow reason not to play Snowlands anymore. Sorry. Not sorry. Y'all know what I'm about. Well, the Ready Anne is really good at punishing snow decks, and then you've got, you know, cards like Cleansing Wildfire. You've got, you know, ways to punish you for playing duels and stuff like that. There's not really a compelling reason not to play Snowlands. But a card like Faceless Haven... A card like Blood in the Snow, a card like Narfi, is enough to get me interested in playing Snowlands by comparison. Can we color fix it? It's kind of unclear right now. As per usual, once we pivot formats, when we jump from a format that's got eight sets in it to a format that'll have five, color fixing is usually a problem. Sometimes it's not, sometimes we get enough duels, but... In this case, we're getting allied, we've got allied Snarl lands, the the ironically Innistrad style, Shadows over Innistrad style check lands where you check for a basic of an appropriate type in your hand to make it come in untapped. We've got the 10 snow duels from Kaldheim. We've got the pathways. But by and large, I would stick to two-color decks unless you have a really compelling reason to go three-plus. And if you do go three-color, I would lean toward being a base color with splashes of the other two, a la, you know, the Black Tokens deck splashing green already normally and then do a touch of blue because some of the blue cards are good. Environmental Sciences also helps with this if you're playing Lessons. Uh, because it would, or learn cards, because it will let you go get uh, off-color basic. Uh, the treasure cards from Strixhaven and AFR, Adventures of the Forgotten Realms, help a ton with this too. Uh, treasures help fix off-color, give you the ability to splash a couple of off-color cards really well. You're just kind of in an interesting position, so to speak. So, the little engines that maybe sort of kind of can... We got a lot to choose from. Prosperous Innkeeper and Ranger Class are going to power a lot of bad decks. And maybe some good ones. But those two cards are going to do wonders for any green creature deck. Prosperous Innkeeper in particular props up the black-green midrange deck by allowing it to cast Binding of the Old Gods on turn three. The unfortunate red herring, the red-headed stepchild of the format, 
and it's ironic because I mention it, it's blue cards, but they're almost certainly going to be played alongside red mana, uh, Ruin Crab and Tasha's Hideous Laughter are going to be ruining some lives. Because if your deck is built on a really tight, really disciplined curve, Tasha's plus Dual Strike or Tasha's plus the one we're getting in Innistrad Midnight Hunt that copies the spell, it feels real bad. We've got the White X Magecraft deck that operates similar to the old Heroic decks, but regardless, like there's a lot to work with here. You've got the Black X Token slash Aristocrats engine. If we get any sort of a payoff that is black adjacent, that will drain the opponent for life when things die, it's going to be really good. You've got the second spell archetype from Kaldheim in Clarion Spirit, Monk of the Open Hand from Adventures in the Forgotten Realms, and Blood Sky Berserker from Kaldheim. Whether it's black-white or just white with a splash, we don't know yet. Maybe you splash the Blood Sky into your otherwise blue-white Magecraft deck. Because there's synergy there. There's also uh, Jaspera Sentinel and Bard class being able to power out massive boards. You have Party as a mechanic you can actually play now. We can also sort of kick things into overdrive with the blue-green kicker deck, which is surprisingly very good. Like, Rooster Drakes is a sleeper hit magic card for me. And then, of course, you have the, the biggest thing to keep your eye on, Dragons and Ulrin's Epiphany Go Burr. So what are the standout options, sort of the role players of the current iteration of the standard 2022 format? I mean, we got threats at every level. We've got cards like Monk of the Open Hand, Clarion Spirit, Ascendant Spirit, Akum Hellhound, Brushfire Elemental, and a host of others, everything from a Hall Monitor to a, oh, sorry, from a Hall Monitor to Battlecry Goblin, Werewolf Pack Leader, Ruin Crab itself, Usher of the Fallen, Roost of Drakes, all serve as sort of your early game bombs, like your early game pressure generators. These are the things that dictate the terms of engagement very clearly to your opponent. Cards like Old Growth Troll, Arnie Brokenbrow, Kazandu Mammoth, Essica's Chariot, Immerstrom Predator, Extus, Nighthawk Scavenger, and others provide your momentum surges, whether you're trying to stop opposing momentum with a threat or press your own momentum with a threat. Goldspan, Dragon, Inferno of Starmounts, Emrith, Zarethsan, Loth, and the like provide power at the top of the curve, alongside cards like Liliana, or Professor Onyx, and Mordicated. For removal, there's a lot of early game removal. Bloodchief's Thirst, Power Word, Kill. What is that? I don't remember that card's name. Dragon's Fire, Frostbite, Blunk, Baleful Mastery, stuff in your lesson plan like Necrotic Fumes, Blizzard Brawl gets green on the, in on the action, while white gets portable hall. Like, you've, every color's got a reason, a way to remove a threat except for blue, because blue doesn't need to remove it, it just needs to inconvenience it. That's what blue's about. And then we work up the curve on sweepers. You've got Cinderclasm, you've got Crush the Wheat, Crippling Fear, Draconic Intervention, Doomscar, Shadows Verdict, Blood in the Snow, you name it. There's already a ton of sweepers in the format. Disruption, I am probably a little too intrigued with Devour Intellect as sort of a pain-free thought seize. Especially on the back of a turn two Prosperous Innkeeper or Kalane in the treasure deck. But established picks are cards like uh, Acquisition Adelilla. Acquisition Expert, that's a hard name to say apparently. Elderfang Disciple and Check for Traps. Even Check for Traps does a reasonable agonizing remorse impression. If it snags an instant, you get value. There's a lot of counter magics, but the most common are Jewelry Disruption, Disdainful Stroke, and Saw Coming. There will be more in Innistrad, and I'm not going to pretend there aren't. Card draw. I mean, we've got Behold the Multiverse, Seagate Restoration. These are what you're going to lean on as a control player to put the game out of reach once you start to pull ahead. And then thanks to the litany of quote-unquote free treasures, Deadly Dispute is great. 
in the in any iteration of the treasure deck whether you're straight green black black red or a combination of both you can do jund treasures and i won't judge you for it i may not play it with you but i will not judge you for it and then obviously the elephant in the room expressive iteration is uh is cracked it's busted you get equal parts light up the stage and sleight of hand and this card is just obnoxious the goal with any resolution of expressive iteration is to get all three cards be something you want. Like, you want the card in your hand, you want the land that you exile, and you want the card that is not good right now to go back into the deck. That is your hope and prayer every time that card resolves, and I will tell you, that happens more often than not because of just, like, the price on the card. It's two mana. Come on. It's really good. So that kind of gives you an idea of the format constraints, like what the cards are. Deck-wise, I have played against a ton of black-green and black-red mid-range decks. A little bit of Demir Control and mostly just kind of mopey creature decks where people are trying out the... Um, I'm drawing a blank here. Trying out the pre-built decks that, have been, that were given to them by Watsi not that long ago. So with that in mind, it's actually not super crazy inconceivable to try to make a run at Mythic in the ranked standard 2022 queue. Because as long as you know what you're up against, you've got a chance. And there's no reason not to have a chance. But that's all I've got for this episode, everybody. Again, I hope to catch you next week. Uh, if you've got questions, comments, concerns, send them to me on Twitter at HomewardPathMTG. Send them to me on Facebook in the Facebook group Homeward Pathfinders. Uh, leave them in the comment section down below after you like and subscribe, please. And with that, I only had one submission for dad jokes and I want to kind of build up a bank before I do them again. Or I may start doing those over on TikTok just so we can see the face. If you want to follow the TikTok, I'm at Homeward Path Gaming. Uh, but with that in mind, that's all I've got for this episode, everybody. So again, if you've stuck around through everything, I want to thank you again. This, this really is one of the few things I've been able to get excited about doing for the last 18 months. Other than that, it's just been work and work at home. So this is something I like to do. This is something that's fun. This is something I enjoy. So I need to put more effort into it. If I enjoy it, I need to enjoy it more. <laughs> so thanks again for the support over the last three years of doing this show. It has been three years. I know it doesn't feel like it because, again, we've only put out like 121 episodes. But thank you again for the support. Thank you for the words of encouragement that I've gotten from so many of you. And I look forward to showing you that the best is yet to come. So remember that everybody's going through something right now. The world is not in a great place, especially here in the flat, boring part of Tennessee. So when you're interacting with people, always lead with kindness. Always try to be nice, but never fail to be kind. So laugh hard, build decks, be kind, and we'll catch you next week.